Just a couple of quick notes up front about the show today. I do hope to steadily improve the production value and other aspects of this show, but it is a process. With that in mind, there are still some awkward cuts and edits in this audio podcast and in these videos. So I do apologize if anything is distracting at any point. Please give it a chance because I think there is some great information on the show today. The first half will have a lot of things that are like a standard Dynasty podcast where I'll talk about things like the Shrine Bowl and some sleepers. The second half will go a little bit deeper into aspects of profiling wide receivers and specifically profiling their size. This section has a lot of data involved, so it might be best to watch it on the YouTube channel. On the YouTube channel, there will be some of the data posted in the background as the video moves along, and so that might help follow along. I will do my best to make sure that everything is clear in terms of the overall takeaways. This is mentioned at some point during that section, but I thought it might be worth it to mention it now. Thank you, and I really do think this is a pretty solid show today, so let's get to it. Hello all, and welcome to the third show of this Dynasty Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm CJ Friel, and I promise at some point this show will have a name. Probably. I appreciate anyone who reached out to offer suggestions of smaller wide receivers to potentially add to the sample that I will be discussing today, as well as just simply to thank anyone who has liked, subscribed, or merely listened to the show in its infancy. It really does mean a lot to me. On today's show, I will follow up on the conversation from last episode about arm length, highlighting the sample that I have found so far of wide receivers who have had success at small statures. This will include a look into how I do things a bit more directly, or what I refer to as a size triangle. On top of that, as much as this show focuses on Dynasty Futures and players primarily from the 2024 draft class and beyond, and by beyond I mean 2025 and 2026, I do want to look at a very few key numbers for wide receivers with an eye on trying to potentially identify undervalued players who are already in the NFL. Before any of that though, I want to briefly touch upon the other college football all-star game from this past week, which is the Shrine Bowl. Because while the Senior Bowl is still the bigger game, the East-West Shrine Bowl is still worth keeping an eye on and does have some intriguing prospects. Now for anyone unfamiliar with the Shrine Bowl, the concept is basically the exact same thing and without getting into geography or essentially who owns and runs the two, there's really not any differences that are super important to discuss other than the fact that it is generally considered to be, you know, lower game makes it sound worse, but that is true. It is generally considered to have less overall talent than the Senior Bowl. So uh, for example, Zay Flowers was a Shrine Bowl attendee last year, but there were also significant rumors that he was paid. Whether that's true or not, it's just that says something about how people talk about the game, that the fact that Zay Flowers was a prominent player going to the game suggests to the people that he was paid to attend. This year, a a big prominent player that went was Jatavion Sanders. So there are some potentially intriguing players here, uh, but that said, I will potentially be spending less time on this section than I did on the Senior Bowl on the last episode. One notable riser with a big name is obviously Frank Gore Jr., who had an excellent performance in the Shrine Bowl game itself. That said, Gore also measured in at about 5'7", 199 pounds, and this kind of spells some of the concerns that have always been in his profile. And it's always hard to talk about these things because I am someone who very much believes that humans as individuals, when it comes to where they play college football should have the right to choose wherever they want to play and not just the right but you know have the freedom for 
from people like us truly judging them for it. But at the same time, I do think you have to, or your brain naturally goes to the idea that if Frank Gore Jr. was a better prospect, he would probably be at a school higher up than Southern Mississippi. Because I can tell you as someone who watches college football that Frank Gore is not someone who has come out of nowhere. I'm not just talking about the last name because there's a lot of players who have famous fathers who do come out of nowhere because they may not be prominent at a level or maybe they mature late but Frank Gore Jr. was a pretty prolific player for quite a while for Southern Mississippi and someone that you saw play for them play wildcat quarterback for them and so in the context of this exposure you do have to you do have to ask yourself as much as you don't want to you know say that a player has to go up to a higher level just because it might be easier for us for what I do in in perspective analysis. It is fair, I think, to some extent to question if the reason that Gore didn't go to a higher level is because he was afraid that the higher level athletes would keep him off the field. And at Southern Mississippi, he did get a chance to play substantially. So Gore is obviously someone I'm not particularly high on, but he is someone who has played well when he's had the opportunity to play. He just simply doesn't have the ideal traits that you're looking for. Uh, Blake Watson is a running back who I would have slightly higher on my list. He did weigh in at only 189 pounds, but Watson shows very solid upside as a pass catcher in particular. He shined against Missouri when he played at a higher at that higher level of competition against the SEC with nine receptions, 83 yards, and a touchdown. And on the season, he had 53 receptions, 483 yards, and three touchdowns in the receiving game, which are very good numbers for a running back. On the other hand, and this goes back to what I talked about on the last show with Dylan Lauby, when I'm judging pass-catching running backs, I do like to look for those downfield targets that are a little bit higher difficulty. Blake Watson actually had a negative A dot or average depth of target, so it doesn't really seem like he was used in that role. That said, he ultimately shows some intriguing skills, particularly as a pass catching back, and I would rank him similarly to where I had Dylan Lauby yesterday, which again isn't necessarily as someone who's threatening to be a top five back, but somebody who, in the right situation, I could see a team taking on day three and having some PPR upside in that situation. The player I want to focus on the most, though, is Malik Washington, the wide receiver out of Virginia. If there is one player I wish I would have covered in the rookie primer from the Shrine Bowl list, it is Malik Washington of Virginia. A few different times in a few different shows, I've referenced that a production profile looks worse when looking over the game log for things like consistency. After week one, Malik Washington had 97 receiving yards in every single game and averaged 123 receiving yards per game. That is immaculate. He also took four steps forward in areas like forcing missed tackles as a yak receiver and was also effective down the field as well. The downside is that first game was against Tennessee, which is technically in a lot of ways his highest competition level, and so that is a game that you would like to see him succeed at, but it is also the first game off of a transfer, so it is hard to take that much against it or or hold it against him that much, right? That moves us into reasons that Washington may not have broken out before that transfer. 
I don't have an official date of birth for Washington, but he spent four full years at Northwestern and is a fifth-year senior. So right away, you're going to hear Northwestern, and that's going to play into some of the excuses because obviously while he did fairly likely get one of the best degrees you can get as a college football player, it's very unlikely that that is a situation that is going to be ideal for very many players. And then on top of that, you know, this is true for a lot of players, but it is true also that it messed up with the development of a lot of players after redshirting in 2019 Washington had COVID-19 not himself had COVID-19 but Washington had to deal with the circumstances surrounding the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020 and so that also made it made it hard for a lot of prospects to develop and see the field more often during that offseason the following year in 2021 Northwestern did not have a quarterback exceed 1,000 passing yards not two or three thousand but 1,000 passing yards and the three or four quarterbacks that did play a little bit there combined for only 2,100 yards in 12 games The numbers did get a little bit better in 2022, but so did Washington. He had 694 yards, which doesn't, you know, jump off the page. But 694 out of 2,524 is about 27.4%, which is not elite, but is at least very solid. The only other player on that team to have over 250 receiving yards was the now NFL running back with the Colts, Evan Hall. Washington did measure in at 5'8", but again, going into these arm length things that will be discussed later, he did have an arm length at about 30 inches, which is a critical number to be closer to the minimum of what I'm looking for. Like I said in the last show, 31 inches is really what you're hoping for for someone on the outside, but at least getting to 30 inches keeps him out of the extreme outlier territory. Ultimately, Washington is not a player who is necessarily in my top 10 or 15 wide receivers, but to put it in some perspective, I mentioned that players like Brandon Rice and Roman Wilson might have the biggest potential movement after the Senior Bowl, and Malik Washington is a player that I would grade very similar and maybe even over those two players. So between these three wide receivers that played in All-Star Bowls, I think Malik Washington might honestly be my biggest riser of them all. And so that concludes what I have to discuss on the Shrine Bowl. Up next, I wanted to, for the first time on this show, talk about players that are in the actual NFL. So I don't mean for this to be necessarily a pat on the back time, but that is what it might be for a second here, because Nico Collins is a player that I was very high on coming into the year, and I even wrote up a post after week two called Buying High on Nico Collins. And so there's a couple things that I identified with Nico Collins that made me intrigued to go after him. Primarily that while his numbers like yards per route run didn't hit certain thresholds people talk about, like the flat number of two, they were generally very they were generally pretty good for a guy who was playing in 2022 with a quarterback like Davis Mills. So 1.6 yards per route run is not as flashy or as easy to remember as two, but 1.6 is a number that, generally speaking, players who do 1.6 in high volume are your better wide receivers in football. There were only 26 wide receivers in football this past year to get a 1.6 yards per route run and at least 100 targets, and all of them are ranked in the top 26 in keep trade cut outside of those who are lower because of age, like Tyler Lockett and DeAndre Hopkins. 
So Nico Collins, despite the quarterback play, once again, had over a 1.6 yards per route run in that 2022 season on over 60 targets. I also wanted to mention that I've chosen yards per route run for this particular analysis because it is a stat that builds sample quickly, right? I've seen a couple of people ask why this is a statistic that is coming up more and more in analytics, and I believe that is because of that exact thing because so many statistics are hard to find solid samples because of how quickly the game changes. When you have a statistic that goes by, say, game, you know, if you're looking for, say, 20, 30 games, it's going to take you two years to get there. Whereas if you're taking a statistic by routes, you can get to 100 in your sample within just three games. So I think that's why yards per out run is becoming a bit more of a prominent statistic because it's one of the only statistics we have that really can work off of a sample that builds quickly, which really helps to counteract the effects of a rapidly changing game, right? So I don't believe it's necessarily a good thing to find sleepers just by chasing down what you've done before, but because yards per route run is this specific thing, I think it's a good thing to look at and to target players based on, especially when you don't have to pay the price, right? So the biggest problem with statistics when they become popular is if a lot of people are buying into those ideologies, it then causes the players to become more expensive. So anecdotally, when it comes to Nico Collins, when I decided I wanted to trade for Nico Collins, my offer was Darnell Mooney and the other manager squeezed an extra third round pick for me and the rest was history. So the mistake carrying it into the next year would be that say if I have a player that I believe could be a player that profiles similarly to Nico Collins saying well because I got it right the last time I'm willing to pay Darnell Mooney and a second this time or I'm willing to just give up a first outright or something like that that's where you can really get caught up and in danger with these kind of sleeper things right so it's okay to create sleeper criteria from the same ideas but you want to make sure that you're not paying extra because something happened well the year before or else you're not necessarily beating the market right so that's why I made four general criteria for players I was looking for here 60 targets 1.6 yards per route run and a player who will be in their third year in the NFL in 2024, and then also players who are ranked outside the top 40 wide receivers on Keep Trade Cut. I have landed on three names which fit these criteria, and I think these three players will be a bit interesting to discuss in Rashid Shahid, Demario Douglas, and Dontavian Wicks. From a physical standpoint, Wicks is probably the one that most represents Nico Collins, and so we'll probably start there. Now, Wicks is entering his second year, and I believe I might have said I'm looking at players only entering their third year earlier. I meant to say third year or younger. Wicks is entering his second year anyway, and while he is nowhere near the size of Collins, he is a fairly well-sized wide receiver with some fairly long arms. Some market evaluations have Wicks priced a bit higher than Collins was last year, but he is still around the wide receiver 40-45 range. And there is significant doubt surrounding Wicks because of the Packers wide receiver depth chart, as well as the lack of production in the postseason, and of course just the fact that in general, he is a lower drafted player. That said, Wicks did have at least four targets in seven of the last 
eight regular season games. In this sample, Wicks had 42 targets, 31 receptions, 468 yards, and three touchdowns. On top of this, he had 11.14 yards per target and 2.58 yards per route run, both of which would be elite figures. So in general, that's about a pace of, say, 950 receiving yards in a 17-game season and doing that with some elite efficiency numbers. Going back to a contested catch figure, which was something that Nico Collins had, Wicks did catch about 50% of his contested targets, which is fairly solid, but he only had four contested opportunities. This is also a good point to mention that no film review is done here. I do not have a ton of time allotted for this show to discuss NFL player evaluation criteria, but I do think it's worth mentioning that, because the NFL has so much less fluff than college football, when dealing with low-cost targets, I'm fine identifying these guys without watching more of their film on the past season. Film is probably the best way to truly distinguish between these three, like if you were trying to pick one to buy, but the entire point of this section is not to just identify critical numbers, but numbers that you might not have to pay for. That's why Wix, ranked outside the top 40 wide receivers, is someone I would shop around my leagues and see if there are any players looking to re-roll the dice because of the team competition or if they're completely out due to the role in the playoffs. If people are scared by that, when I'm shopping around, Wix might be a player that I'm looking to buy. So next up on this list, I want to discuss Rashid Shahid, who had a very solid yards per route run in both of the last two years and throughout his career. Shahid has some very intriguing overall career numbers with 105 targets, 74 receptions, 1,206 yards, and 7 touchdowns over just 619 routes, which equates to a 1.94 career yards per route run, almost 2. That said, we are seeing some very significant signs from Shahid, particularly in 2023, that he may be significantly better in a lower volume. Shahid had seven targets four times in 2023 and was extremely unproductive in three of the four outings with nine targets for 24 yards, seven targets for 33 yards, and seven targets for 28 yards. His most productive game of the season was on only three targets, in which he went three for three for 153 yards and a touchdown. Shahid could certainly grow out of this, and that's kind of part of the idea behind this, is that he is still a young player entering only his third year, and for a long time, third-year breakouts were a major thing that people talked about surrounding fantasy football. But it is worth noting that so far in his career, or at least in the second season, when they tried to extend that volume, it didn't necessarily go the way you would have wanted it. But I do see the appeal and the reason for doubt very much both as clear in this case. So Shahid is someone who I would also potentially look to buy, though I do think he's third on this list, even though I have him in the middle. And the main reason I have him in the middle is because DeMario or Pop Douglas, a rookie for the Patriots, actually might lead me nicely into the next section about arm length. Pop Douglas has had some injury issues and failed to play a good bit at the start of the Patriots season. However, once he started playing, you know, in those last nine games of the season, he started doing some pretty nice things that were worth paying attention to. 
Pop Douglas ran at least 22 routes in each game at that point, and over this sample, he had 59 targets, 39 receptions, and 419 yards. He did not record a touchdown, but in terms of targets, receptions, and yards, the pay stats for Douglas over this sample are about 111 targets, 74 receptions, and 791 yards. Again, these are not ideal statistics, particularly for someone you're starting in a fantasy league, but they are pretty promising for a rookie, particularly guy that went on day three. And it's also worth noting that Douglas did not have very many drops and a solid amount of yak. His dot or average depth of target was eight, which is fairly low, but he was not necessarily playing at the line of scrimmage. And finally, while I don't intend this to be a huge positive for Douglas's profile, as I'm about to discuss, Douglas does fit a mold that I do find to be the more intriguing one to buy into when it comes to smaller wide receivers. Despite being 5'7", which is either the 1st or 0th percentile when it comes to height, Douglas does hit a key arm length measurement of 30 inches exactly, which actually puts him in the 10th percentile. Douglas is much longer than he is tall, and because I believe the arm length is more important, this does not necessarily change the way I look at Douglas, but it does put him in a slightly better area for size overall. Again, not a huge difference, but a slight difference in the makeup of how I perceive this prospect. Now, Douglas was not as efficient as the other two guys down that stretch of the last nine games, though you could also say that the Patriots don't have a particularly good quarterback situation on the stretch of those last nine games. So Douglas is another player that I would be looking to buy throughout my leagues. Again, when I say looking to buy, that doesn't mean upping the price from what the market is. But if I can get him at close to that, say, wide receiver 50 price point, I think he's shown enough that he's the kind of Post hype is probably the wrong word because he's a fifth round pick, but kind of that post rookie hype guy that I might be looking to target. And so those are just three players that I've identified using one specific criteria of trying to find sleepers, particularly those that are deeper, not ranked in the top 40. And, you know, if it isn't obvious by now, while this show might do a lot of things, this is never going to be the show that spends a lot of time talking about whether C.D. Lamb or Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase is the wide receiver one in Dynasty. No disrespect to anything that does that, but those are just topics that I'm less interested in having because they're all great players. I think a lot of people don't like to have the conversations about three players who even they self-admit are kind of unlikely to be successful, but you know that's why this is a game about marketplaces is you do sometimes buy players that you think are not necessarily likely to be successful, but the risk-reward, or rather the reward that comes with a relatively limited risk is kind of worth it and that's kind of how I feel about these three players that I've just discussed in Wicks, Shahid, and Douglas and probably a little bit more in the younger two in Wicks and Douglas. And on that note about what this show is supposed to be, I just want to thank anybody who is listening and has been listening to the show, whether this is the first time, the second time, the third time. I do want to encourage very briefly for anyone that is listening to like, to subscribe on the Substack, on the YouTube. It means a lot to me. It helps this material get seen by other people. And ultimately, if I didn't care if it got seen by other people, I wouldn't be doing it at all. 
And so now I want to continue a conversation I started on the last show in regards to wide receiver size and arm length. Because this is a tricky and nuanced subject, and because there's also a lot of data that we might get bogged down into, I'm going to walk through a few things here about both the hypothesis that created this data as well as how this data was collected. When it comes to wide receiver size, I like to use what I refer to as a size triangle. Named a triangle for fairly obvious reasons, in that by adding arm length to height and weight, you now have three points. On top of adding the third point, I like to also use percentiles instead of raw numbers, as this helps me contextualize history. That's more about how my mind works. I don't know if that would work for everybody, uh, but that's just a general thing that also goes into the size triangle, even though that's not really a part of this analysis. When I began looking for something to research, it was because most scouting people I trust most refer to arm length and wingspan in general as more important than height. And I wanted to try to see if I could find any statistical relevant information in terms of fantasy that could prove this hypothesis. So I have not proven that exact thing yet. I have studied smaller wide receivers with that hypothesis in mind. And what I have found is that certain archetypes for smaller wide receivers, particularly ones with longer arms, have success more often often because the number one goal at least in my opinion of size analysis is to eliminate outliers this would corroborate the size triangle more often than not because the longer arm lengths of the shorter wide receivers help their size profile here there are also a few notes i want to make about the sample and the data collection itself while using only combine data would be ideal it is unfortunately not really possible without increasing the height threshold or having a very small sample Probably because of the height, there also seems to be a fair number of players in this sample that did not seem to get an invite to the combine, and it's particularly surprising for a sample of successful wide receivers. Because arm length is also on a smaller scale as well, and potentially because of the spot of the measurement, I do believe there is likely a higher margin of error in general arm length measurements. However, this is something that the study tries to accommodate with wider ranges, and I also believe that the extent in the difference between the archetypes helps to justify the study as well. Next, the sample was collected over a long period of time, but has sat still for about a year. I even tried to confirm having as many players as possible by simply looking up top 36 fantasy finish list. Any player I didn't immediately believe was at least six foot tall, I took a look at. After reaching out and having some people suggest names from online database searches, the only names I found to add to the list began their playing careers in 1995 and 1996 and wouldn't be included in the sample at all, except for the fact that they were having successful seasons in 2005 and 2006. On that note, there is a portion of this study about quantity of hits where, say, Tyreek Hill and Travis Benjamin are both included as one, a single hit, because they have both had a top 36 season, and there is also a portion that tries to map quality better. Because the new player's fantasy data was so hard to find, I did include them in the quantity just for the sample size, but they were not included in the quality. For the study, the top height was the 16th percentile on mock draftable, the database that I use. This was around 5 foot 10 and a half. Finally, it is important to remember that this is nuanced data. This is not something that should drive a player analysis, but merely something that might help with profiling prospects. A perfect example is Zay Flowers, who is a member of this study. Zay Flowers is atrocious in my size triangle, and while he may not appear good in any size observation, he is particularly bad in mine. However, as I tried to outline any time last year when I mentioned the concerns I had with Zay Flowers in my writing, Zay Flowers was still the 110 against the consensus 109 
on my big board, with the only exception being my massive fandom for Devon Achan. So I said this then, if I didn't believe he could be successful, he would not be my 110, he would be my 210. These things do matter to me in profiling a wide receiver, but it is important to distinguish that this is not a magical solution that will tell you which small wide receivers to buy into and which to avoid. So to be clear for the beginning of this study, we have three key distinctions. We have long, equal, and narrow. Long is any wide receiver whose percentile of arm length is higher than their height percentile. Anyone who's equal is when those percentiles are equal, obviously, and anyone who is narrow is when their percentile in arm length is lower than their percentile in height. So looking at all 33 wide receivers, including the ones that were added recently, 22 of the 33 qualify as being long. That is obviously 67%. Three of the 33 are equal, and only eight of the 33, or 24%, are narrow. So that means longer wide receivers are occurring at a higher frequency than narrow wide receivers in this data sample by about a 2.5 to 3 to 1 ratio. Now, going back to the beginning, covering the fact that these measurables can be a bit flawed in how they are measured themselves, I have also made a sample where I have eliminated, or rather pushed to the middle, essentially any difference between arm length and height that was not substantial. To be clear, this also pushed more players from the long distinction than it did to the narrow distinction. With this bigger definition of what made the equal the longer section still had the advantage with the majority at 51.5% and the narrow was the smallest figure at 21.2%. So the longest had the majority when you extend the middle and without the extended middle, they had it by almost a three to one ratio. And on that note of summarizing the data, I do think it's worth noting that obviously a lot of people listen to podcasts in a lot of different settings and scenarios, but if you're in a setting where you can watch the YouTube channel, this is the one episode where it really makes sense to do that right now because there's going to be a lot of numbers and it's going to be very difficult to follow. I'm going to try to summarize things at the end of each section, but it's going to be hard to follow along with some more of the specific takeaways. I also haven't brought up any wide receiver names yet because I think that has to do more with the quality of the individual wide receivers. And on that note, it's also worth discussing my point system. If you listen to the first episode, it's pretty much the same thing that was discussed there. When I look over over the history of prospects, I like to give two points for a top 12 season, one point for a top 24 season, and at the wide receiver position, I also give a half point for a top 36 season. All the players on this list have at least one top 36 season. So using this format, the top six wide receivers all time, or at least in the top 21st century, under the height threshold I used, which was about the 16th percentile, are in the longer camp. Not only that, but none of them are players who were eliminated in the exercise that pushed more players to the middle. These top six players are Tyreek Hill, Antonio Brown, Steve Smith Sr., Wes Welker, Brandon Cooks, and T.Y. Hilton. Now the next three are the top three members of the Short Arms Club, 
which are Deshaun Jackson, Santana Moss, and Tyler Lockett. But even though there are these three in a row that represent this small pushback, it is just three players in a great wave of players who represent the longer category, as the next outcomes are Golden Tate, Randall Cobb, Santonio Holmes, Jalen Waddell, and Deontay Johnson. Now, Deontay Johnson and Golden Tate are members of that extended middle group when you, again, extend the middle group. But again, the longers are significantly winning these samples. And again, you can look at this list in order on the YouTube channel. And since most of the names have been named, or at least a good number of them at this point, to be clear, the remaining names for the narrow wide receivers that haven't brought up for the narrow wide receivers are Christian Kirk Hunter Renfro, Kendall Wright, and Adam Humphreys. The longer wide receivers that have not been named are Dion Branch, John Brown, Eddie Royal, Hollywood Brown, Jameson Crowder, Marquise Goodwin, Darnell Mooney, Tavon Austin, and Travis Benjamin, as well as Terry Glenn and Bobby Ingram, who were two of the three players that I found that started their careers in the 90s. Though those two players are not in the point sample for the top 12, 24, and 36 season. The three perfectly even players are Cole Beasley, Sterling Shepard, and Joey Galloway, the last of whom is also not a part of the points sample. Doug Baldwin and Julian Edelman are the two small wide receivers I could not find arm length for. If you were to add up all the points using my system that all the wide receivers have gotten in all the seasons that they've played in, with again the exception of the three that started in 1995, the longer arm players would have 76.9% of the point value compared to only 21.6% for the narrow. And again, if you use the same methodology above to eliminate players close to even, or rather just call them a part of an extended middle, and not just only consider the middle perfectly even, the longs still have 66.7% of the total point volume, with the narrows, including Deshaun Jackson, Santana Moss, and Tyler Lockett, only having 20.8%, less than one-third. So to summarize once again in context, there are other driving factors for all wide receivers that should be the basis of your grades, and this is not one of them. This is not a driving factor. But it is seemingly better to be longer, particularly when forecasting smaller wide receivers. Because of this, and because size has been the most beneficial when used to avoid outliers, I like to make my general rule of thumb for wide receiver prospect size to look at them through a size triangle. Three percentiles of height, weight, and arm length written out together. When all three numbers in particular are very small, these are the players that are the most concerning for me in terms of size. When arm length or tight in particular for that matter, helps to bring up a size profile, it helps me believe that that wide receiver has a chance to make the most of that size at the next level. In terms of profiling, I also just generally believe the triangle helps to perceive the size of various prospects. Now, I can't tell you how your mind works. I can only tell you how my mind works. And I can tell you that when I see the difference between 5'10 and 5'11, I have a hard time conceiving what that means in a different way than when I see the difference between, say, the 20th percentile and the 40th percentile. I think I can do a lot better job of conceiving what that means, especially in the context of history. So using that practice in combination with arm length as a part of the equation, I believe is the best way to perceive wide receiver size. So that is all I have for today, and I wanted to end on a bit of an overall recap going through the three major points from today. 
First, listening over, I don't know if I should quite so confidently say Malik Washington is not a top 10 or top 15 wide receiver for me. I do doubt that he cracks the top 10, particularly because there are only three spots available after Harrison, Neighbors, Adunze, Coleman, Franklin, Mitchell, and Thomas, who are a clear top 7 for me at this point, but he very well could be in that top 15 range for me when it is all said and done. He might even be there right now. Washington is the biggest riser for me from the All-Star Bowls or due to a reevaluation during the All-Star Bowl process. Second, just to put some more specific price points on it, I think the real idea with the Wicks, Shaheed, and Douglas group is that I would be looking for a trade, which many trade calculators suggest I should be able to make, giving up two assets priced around a third round pick for these players. Some may see this as netting a third round pick for someone they see as being worth a third round pick, but I think it is a good use of two-thirds to get a player that has shown at least something at the NFL level. Just looking at Fantasy Calc, for example, which lists recent trades that have happened on certain apps, Dontavian Wicks for two-thirds or a distant second, say in 2026, is a trade that's happened quite a few times in real fantasy leagues. Finally, I hope I was able to keep enough people engaged during the conversation about arm length and size triangles. I know this is very technical and often dry stuff, but it does go into how I profile prospects overall, which is a big part of what this podcast attempts to do and show to other people. That is all I have for today, as well as this week. If you happen to catch all three shows, and particularly if you happen to catch all three shows since Sunday, I truly appreciate that. The show will be back on Substack by Tuesday morning. My tentative plan is to go over rankings that I have mostly refused to make. By this, I mean that I have only really ranked the top four quarterbacks, two running backs, seven wide receivers, and two tight ends. Outside of that, I have used alphabetical tiers. So groups like running back 3 through 10 and wide receiver 8 through 15 may be worth discussing. That said, I would love any suggestions that may drive me to places that would be intriguing both for myself and this audience. Thank you, have a great weekend, and see you next week.